Welcome to the podcast of Fairmount Presbyterian Church in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, where we feature our worship sermons. Listen again to past sermons from home, when you are traveling, or wherever you are. Listen in if you need a moment of reflection, inspiration, and love. Yvonne and Norman Matheson were like all parents. They wanted the best for their child, which is why they felt helpless when they found out that their two-year-old son, Daniel, was diagnosed with Duchenne muscular dystrophy, a genetic disease primarily found in males that slowly destroys muscle tissue. Those who suffer from it have an average lifespan of 26. But the Mathesons prepared for the challenges of caring for their son, Daniel, and they continued to grow their family. They had three more children, John, James, and Claire. But their feelings of helplessness only grew deeper when John and James were also diagnosed with the disease. Yvonne and Norman became full-time caregivers for their children and stoically prepared themselves for the inevitable. In 2010, their son James died in his sister's arms. Two years later, his brother John died with his mother holding his hand on an ambulance. And less than a year later, their oldest, Daniel, died just after they had returned home from a family vacation. They lost all three of their sons within three years. Their disease was caused by a mutation in a gene on the X chromosome of the DNA. In other words, the, gene, the disease is passed on to mothers, or to children by their mothers who are carriers of it. So you can understand why the de- at the death of Daniel, Yvonne Matheson said, I blame myself because they got my genes. I know that it wasn't my fault that I had the gene, but it doesn't stop me feeling guilty. It's stories like this that inspire Jennifer Doudna and other scientists to continue researching and developing a new genetic technology called CRISPR. It's an acronym. And to be honest, I could give most of you like 10,000 guesses what CRISPR stands for and you wouldn't figure it out. CRISPR stands for Clustered Regularly Interspaced Short Palindromic Repeats. Now, you probably guessed that, right? And now hold on to your hats because a theologian is about to try to explain an incredibly complicated process of molecular biology in two minutes. We all know what DNA is, even if we don't completely understand how it works. Our DNA is a set of instructions for our bodies. It determines everything from our eye color to our predisposition to certain diseases. The purpose of CRISPR, this genetic technology, is to edit our DNA. You can think of CRISPR as a vehicle with two tools inside of it, a GPS and a pair of scissors. First, there's a guide molecule, a strand of RNA that acts like a GPS, taking CRISPR to an exact location within a cell's DNA. 
Then once it's there, it uses the tiny molecular scissors, which are a part of a protein called Cas9, to cut out a sequence of DNA, to just snip it out. The DNA will then repair itself at the cuts, or scientists can send in a new sequence of DNA to replace the original. So the idea is that scientists can send CRISPR into a living organism with a specific gene or section of DNA for the guide molecule to find, and then those scissors will cut out that strand of the undesired DNA. And I know this may sound like science fiction, but maybe you've read that scientists have already successfully edited the DNA of a human embryo in the lab that would, in theory, correct a gene that causes heart failure in athletes. And they've also treated the genetic diseases of fully grown animals, including Duchenne muscular dystrophy. There's hope that scientists one day can use CRISPR to cure genetic diseases in humans, to save the lives of people like Daniel, James, and John. But the scientific community is being extremely cautious with this technology. Some people, including Jennifer Dudna, the scientist who helped develop CRISPR, are concerned about the dangerous or unintended consequences of using CRISPR on humans. And so there's a lot of study left to do before CRISPR becomes mainstream in medicine. And at the same time, others are raising an ethical and theological question about CRISPR. Should we play God? If you Google the words CRISPR, God, those two words together, here are the first results that come out. Articles titled, Playing God, Are We Ready to Play God? Playing God with CRISPR and Humans Playing God. But what does that mean, really, to play God? Usually when someone talks about playing God, they're referring to humans meddling in something that could affect the fate of the world. And maybe more specifically, something that could alter or create or destroy life as we know it. And the prevailing thinking among many people, many Christians especially, is let God be God and humans be humans. And that's why I chose this text from Genesis 2 this morning because it speaks directly to this question, directly to the role of God and the role of humans, especially as it relates to creation and evolution of life. And I think it offers two very different ideas about the role of humans and the relationships between God and humankind. They're not conflicting or contradictory ideas, but nonetheless, they're ideas that can be hard to hold together at times. The first idea has to do with the distinction between God and humans. Simply put, God is the creator and we are the creatures. The Lord God formed the human from the topsoil of the fertile land and blew life's breath into his nostrils. The human came to life. God exists before us. God exists without us. We don't exist without God. We exist because of God. Our very life comes from God. 
There is a deep sense of humility that comes with accepting our role as creatures. Now, the second idea about our relationship with God that comes through in our text this morning stands in tension a little bit with this first idea, and it's this. God, the creator, makes us, the creatures, partners in creation. Let's look again to our Genesis story. And I want to point out three ways that God does this. First, God gives us skin in the game. Verse 15 says, The Lord God took the human and settled him in the Garden of Eden to farm it and to take care of it. God gives us a job. You could call us farmers or botanists or stewards, but the bottom line is that the first human is created, and then the very first thing that God does is to share responsibility with that human in creation. God doesn't put the human in the garden and just say, enjoy, just be free and live and enjoy your life. Instead, God essentially says to us, we will share responsibility in caring for this creation. A second way that God makes us partners is by giving us agency, giving us the power of choice or free will. God says, eat your fill from all the garden's trees, but don't eat from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God's decision to create this tree and then to tell the human of its existence is a bold statement about God's intended relationship with us. God gives guidance to the human, gives the human an understanding of God's will, but ultimately God chooses not to control the human's decision. Finally, this creation story reveals a third way God makes us partners. God gives us a chance to participate in shaping the future of creation. God says, it's not good that the human is alone. I will make him a helper that is perfect for him. And so God, using the very same dirt from which the human being was created, God begins to form animals and bring them to the human. And then it's the human, not God, the creator, but the human who is given the duty to name them. That even with all the animals that God creates and the human inspects and names, they can't find that perfect helper. For me, the beauty of this part of the story is that it's messy and imperfect, as collaboration and partnership often are. God could just create another human from the dirt, but God doesn't do that. Instead, it's a joint process, one that involves both God and the human being working together. And in that sense, God invites us into the process of a continuing creation, one that is constantly changing and evolving, that both God and humans have a role in shaping together. God gives us skin in the game, God gives us agency, and God gives us the chance to participate in the future of creation. In all these ways, God chooses to identify with us, calling us into relationship, into partnership, 
in a way that we are made co-creators with God. And yet, at the same time, we are still just creatures made by our Creator. And this is the tension we live in. To be a creature entails limits. And honoring those limits becomes necessary if creation is going to develop as God intends, as God dreams. And yet at the same time, to be a co-creator means to participate actively in that continuing creation. God has chosen to do it with us, and so embracing our creative role and aligning ourselves with God's will also become necessary if creation is going to develop as God intends. We live now in an era where our knowledge of the world is growing more rapidly than ever. When genetic technology like CRISPR is at our fingertips. And for that reason, it really feels like our capacity, our power as co-creators has reached a new level. And so it's really understandable why we'd ask, should we play God? But when we think about it, it's really the wrong question, isn't it? Perhaps the better question is, how should we play the unique role that God has given us? A role that calls us both to creaturely humility and invites us to be co-creators with God. The answer to that question and the model for us as humanity, for us as Christians, has already been revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've noticed that the phrase that I often use to greet you in worship is grace and peace to you in the name of the human one, Jesus Christ. That title, the human one, it's not something I made up. It's a translation from the biblical Greek, and it's the title that Jesus uses more often than any other title to refer to himself in the Gospels. And there are, are multiple layers to its meaning, but for me, the most powerful way to understand it is that Jesus embodied the fullness of humanity. He is the incarnation of God's love in human form. Or to put it another way, in Jesus, God reveals what it looks like for us to be fully human in the way that God intends. To be both creature and co-creator. And so as we struggle and strive to live into God's call for us and into the fullness of our humanity, let's keep looking to the human one, Jesus Christ, as the model of humanity for us. Amen. We thank you for listening to a worship episode from Fairmount Presbyterian Church. Revisit this podcast site weekly for new worship episodes. Have a beautiful and blessed day.